know, through history, people have said, yeah, I have kids, it'll love it, it'll be fun. And, and it is all those things, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And you don't know you're doing it right, second-guessing yourself all the time. You make mistakes, you feel bad, and still somehow the kids get raised. <laughs> Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 36 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Jeff Jackson, who is a recovering accountant who understands the power of sales and is one hell of a dad. He is a contributing author to the book, Go Ask Your Dad, questions, answers, and stories about fathers, fatherhood, and parenting. Jeff and I spent the first half of our interview talking about fatherhood and the chapter that he wrote for the book. The second half of the interview, we talk about how he became an accountant and how he has learned that accounting sales is not an oxymoron, but a necessity. As I was listening to our conversation about being a good dad, I want to share with you a blog posting I recently did titled Diabetes. Blood sugar of 729 is dangerous. Know the signs. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes approximately 10 years ago when I was in my mid-40s. Yes, you can have type 1 diabetes later in life. Many are confused about the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is when the body completely stops producing any insulin and the person must take daily insulin injections in order to survive. Type 2 diabetes is when the body doesn't produce enough insulin and or is unable to use the insulin properly. The discovery of my diabetes came through a routine blood test, which showed my blood sugar level was high at 246. Normal blood sugar levels should be between 72 and 108. At the time, I didn't know what the signs of potential diabetes were, but in hindsight, I was experiencing classic symptoms, which I'll discuss in a moment. On New Year's Day 2017, I began to wonder if my son of 16 years old had diabetes. Over the past 10 days, I noticed him drinking a lot of water and urinating quite a bit. However, I didn't see a consistent pattern or any one single incident that raised a red flag until New Year's Day. That morning, my son had pancakes and syrup for breakfast. Later that day, we met my brother for brunch, and my son had another full plate of pancakes along with maple syrup. At home that evening, we were playing cards when over a 15-minute span, he went to the restroom three times and was consuming a couple glasses of water. I took his blood sugar, and the meter read, over 600, seek medical assistance. One, I was in shock, and two, I wanted to test again to be sure. The second test produced the same results, so I decided to check myself to make sure the meter was working properly, which it was. My wife and I immediately took him to the emergency room where they confirmed my worst fears. 
my son, was a diabetic. His blood sugar count was at 729, which is a very dangerous level. Through IV of fluids and insulin, they were able to reduce his blood sugar. They immediately transported him to Children's Hospital, where he was admitted and monitored for 24 hours. During this time, his blood sugar reduced to normal levels, and as a family, we had a crash course in diabetes education. By knowing the signs of diabetes, we were able to avoid my son going into diabetic ketoacidosis, which is a severe situation that can lead to a coma or death. According to the American Diabetes Association, diabetic ketoacidosis, a.k.a. DKA, is when your cells don't get the glucose they need for energy and your body begins to burn fat for energy, which contains ketones. Ketones are chemicals that the body creates when it breaks down fat to use for energy. The body does this when it doesn't have enough insulin to use the glucose, the body's usual source of energy. When ketones build up in the blood, they make it more acidic. High levels of ketones can poison the body. Here's a list of symptoms that could point to diabetes. Being very thirsty. Frequent urination, weight loss, increased hunger, blurry vision, irritability, tingling or numbness in the hands or feet, frequent skin, bladder, or gum infections, wounds that won't heal, and extreme unexplained fatigue. Know the symptoms, and if you see yourself or anybody in your family experience these, take them to their doctor, urgent care, or emergency room immediately. There's another reason why I'm writing this blog. A friend of mine a couple of months ago had a daughter who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. She's a little younger than my son. She was demonstrating some of these classic signs, being very thirsty, frequent urination, and extreme unexplained fatigue. The family didn't know the symptoms of diabetes. They did, however, take her to an urgent care facility who immediately transferred her to Children's Hospital upon reviewing her blood work. Diabetes is a chronic illness that can be managed and allow one to lead a very healthy and fulfilling life. There are a few celebrities that have type 1 diabetes. Halle Berry, Nick Jones, author Anne Rice, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, and NFL quarterback Jay Cutler. I have my good days and bad days, but I don't let my diabetes stand in the way because I manage it every day. Please be aware of the symptoms and don't ignore or discount them. The endocrinology team at Children's Hospital said that we were very lucky we caught this early because too often children are admitted with onset diabetes that are experiencing DKA. Don't be that statistic. You can find this blog on my website at petermargaritas.com. As you know, one of my goals with this podcast is that it will help you begin to make changes in your work and your personal lives so you can better connect with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said that it takes 21 days to start a habit, but a lifetime to keep that pattern. That's why I created the SN Challenge to help keep these principles in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the Yes and Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of Yes and and the principles of improvisation.
And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge. If you're unsure of what the YesAndChallenge is all about, I discussed this in detail in episode zero. So go back and take a listen. And remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also purchase my book, Improv is No Joke, Use Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and in Life, on Amazon. It's also available in paperback and on Kindle. So with that said, let's get to the interview with Jeff Jackson. Hey, everybody. I'm with uh, Jeff Jackson, who, according to his Twitter page, is a top 50 dad blogger, a husband, a daddy, a speaker, published author, and this part I love, a superhero in training. But more than that, he's also an accountant. So first and foremost, Jeff, thanks for taking time out of your very busy day to spend some time with me on my podcast. Uh, well, thank you for inviting me, Peter. I'm glad to be here. And Jeff and I, this is the first time we were actually meeting. We have been uh, communicating back and forth via email. We were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, Judy Carter. And for those of you who don't know Judy Carter, I interviewed her in my episode number 19. So go back and listen. It was an absolute blast. So I come to find out Jeff and I have a lot in common. And I tell you what, Jeff, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, boy. Uh, where should I start? Uh, uh, there, there's a lot that's gone on. I moved to New York in 96. I'm originally from Ohio uh, to pursue my professional acting career. And at that time, I had an uh, MBA in accounting. I was working as a temp accountant. Uh, and I worked for a bunch of different companies. My uh, acting career didn't work out uh, for a couple of years. And so I went into accounting full time. Uh, we moved. We moved to just north of New York City. And now my wife and I have a couple of uh, eight-year-old twin boys, and uh, it, they're fabulous. And uh, one thing has led to another, and to, to spark or to uh, keep my creative uh, uh, spark going, uh, I've been uh, working on my daddy, my daddy blog called Daddy is Best. It's a very interesting blog. I read it, I read it this morning in one of your recent postings about uh, your son being fired by his friends <laughs> that, and, and how memories are short with kids. Um, right. And they they for, they forgot they were mad at him or fired him, and he said he wasn't going to tell them. I thought that, <laughs> I thought that was cute. Uh-huh. You say that you're from Ohio, and I, you're from the Dayton, Ohio area, and you went to Wright State University? That's correct. Did you study accounting at Wright State? I did. Did you ever have Maggie Houston as a professor? Oh, yeah. Maggie Houston is my, my, my best friend. <laughs> my, the world just got small. I've known Maggie for a number of years with her volunteer work for, at the Ohio Society of CPAs, and I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years, but Maggie uh, was always one of my favorite Ohio Society CPA members. Oh, how about that? Yeah, Maggie and I were, uh, she was um, a, a teacher. She was a, you know, a, a, an adjunct professor. We became friends, and then uh, we actually had uh, shared some dinners together, I think, uh, with uh, when I was married to my first wife at the time uh, and going through graduate school. Oh, wow. I'll have to, I have to find her. I haven't, I haven't talked to her in a few years, but I'll have to reach out to her and tell her she needs to listen to this, uh, this episode because I mean, <laughs> man, because I, I just, that you, you, you did, you are supporting, uh, contributing uh, author to the book, Go Ask Your Dad. And uh, that's why I, realize that you were at right state. How did you get into this book? How, how did th- this come about? Well, it's interesting is that uh, since I've been writing my blog, which has been it'll be two years in January or so, and I've also been on Facebook and uh, Twitter, 
and uh, and and I've really grown in, in my social media existence and uh, and participation. And one of the things I came across was a daddy last year about this time who um, was looking to put together a book, and he asked if any daddies would be interested. And I said, sure, I'll be interested, and I'll write you something. And and you know, one thing led to another, and then I, I got included in the book, and uh, and here it is. And I'm I'm very excited about it. I've been uh, you know passing it out to to people and trying to get them to to leave um, reviews on Amazon. So if you get a chance, please do that. I most certainly will. When when um, when we get done with this interview, I'll, I'll, I'll most certainly do that for you. Uh, so this this daddy is best. Give me give me the essence of, of that. What is what is that message that you are trying to spread? Well, the, the whole idea of dad. Well, <laughs> it's multifaceted. <laughs> I mean, one of the facets that I talked about before was that you know I wanted to uh, keep my uh, creative spark going, and uh, since I I've, I've written my whole life, I've acted my whole life, told jokes my whole life, and so this has allowed me to to funnel all that activity into one thing. And daddy is best. And I wanted to come up with a unique name for being a daddy. Now that I'm a little older as a daddy. And I, I thought it would be a, a nice place to share all my daddy experiences. And uh, we live in a dynamic environment in uh, just north of New York City. And uh, a dynamic, I mean, you know, uh, New York is unlike any other place because it's there's so many people here, right. there's nothing else. And and the people are are, are not shy. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the other thing is that my wife, uh, my wife is 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 African American, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool, mm-hmm. and and I'm not, which is cool. And so, uh, you know, we have uh, biracial kids and uh, just exploring uh, everything that we've gone through, you know, through, um, through raising kids. And it's it's an incredible process. I highly recommend it. Uh, but, you know, what what the, the conspiracy is, is that, you know, through history, people have said, yeah, I have kids. It'll love it. It'll be fun. And, and it is all those things, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And you don't know you're doing it right. You second-guessing yourself all the time. You make mistakes, you feel bad, and still somehow the kids get raised. <laughs> and, and, and you don't know how they do it, but they do. So, uh, in spite of myself. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have a 16-year-old son, and, and I'm 55, so I had a child later in life. And you're right, it's the hardest job I've ever had, but it's the best job I've ever oh, had. Yes, absolutely. And, and the th- but there's something about children. My son's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. When he's outside of the house in school, he's got a job, interacts with me. He is an angel. He's an absolute (laughs) angel. And then he comes home. And you can just tell by the tone of my voice, a lot of times that angel leaves and the devil comes out. It's like, how can people say such nice things about you? And you come home and all you want to do is give me grief. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. In fact, I just had that talk last night with one of my sons. And my sons uh, are interesting because, well, they're they're not identical. They're paternal twins, and their personalities are diametrically opposed to each other. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, one's left brain, one's right brain, and it's incredible to see how they develop. And considering they they both came from you know the same place, and I've heard the same thing from their teachers. How how the teachers just <laughs> adore them. And, you know, and last night my son's giving me a hard time, and it's like. What are you doing this for? You're nice, so nice in school, and you come home and you give me a hard time. I'm your daddy. Be nice to daddy. I'm this person you should be nicest to. Well, and mommy too, but uh, mommy wasn't here at the time. But you know, you should be nicest to mommy and daddy, and they don't see it that way. I I, I love how you reference your wife in the book as is it S M M? S M M. And it stands for 
Sergeant Major Mommy. <laughs> I, I I read that. I started laughing hysterically. That's that's good. I think I'm, I may have my son start calling my my wife SMM Sergeant Major Mommy. And, and I I think in today's day and age with, with dual incomes, I, I think the father's role has changed dramatically since the days of of our our fathers. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I, that's something I address all the time with my uh, daddy friends on uh, on social media. Is, is how much the daddy role has changed and how much daddies have stepped up to embrace that role. You know, and I haven't, uh, you know, because I just went to a school function last couple weeks ago, and there were, there's easily half daddies, half mommies, half daddies. Yeah. And, and the daddies have taken a much greater participation in their, their kids' lives than they used to do. And, you know, when, when we, I grew up and my daddy didn't take, you know, God bless him, I'm not pointing fingers and, or anything like that, but he grew up in a different generation. Things were different at that time. I understand completely. Uh, and now that we are being asked to contribute more, and I believe we are contributing more. Uh, and yet, you know, the hard part about that is, or the flip side of that is that we don't always get the support we need from, you know, wives or schools or, or you know, the general public or society or culture or whatever. And, and uh, so that makes it hard for us. And I see a lot of daddies being discouraged and frustrated about you know our roles as daddies and it's it's uh, it's been a very interesting uh experience for me too especially being an older daddy uh and i'm older than you are uh, <laughs> you don't look it <laughs> uh, well thank you oh, that's nice um but it's uh you know being a, being an older daddy you know it's it's because i'm a, a baby boomer you know my our, our our daddies were typically the silent generation you know from world war ii right and now I'm being asked to participate more, and it's a whole new side of me that I've never experienced before. And so, you know, not only is fathering or daddying uh, such a difficult thing to do, but, you know, I'm asked to explore parts of myself that I've never had to explore before. And so, and how do I deal with that? And, and where do I get the support? Unfortunately, mommy has been, you know, mommy's great, and she's there for me every step of the way. And you know, not that we agree on everything all the time. I mean, nobody does that. No two humans do that. But, you know, she's always supportive of, of me. And uh, and so that's just been, uh, it's been a very interesting process, you know, raising kids, going through, becoming a daddy, experiencing what it means to be a daddy, and, and experiencing, you know, my own personal growth in the process. Right. And you also mentioned in the book that, between you and your wife, it's a 50-50 relationship with parenting, with household, with all of that stuff that goes on. And um, my wife and I share that same kind of, of, of ratio. It's a 50-50 split. I got I to gotta carry my weight. She's got to carry her weight. And all the weight's not just on one person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I was doing laundry this morning. You know, I do, I do uh, almost all the laundry in the house. I do uh, I do a bulk of the dishes. I do uh, some cleaning. Uh, plus, you know, I, I do homework with the kids and put, read and put them to bed. You know, my my nights because we alternate nights for that. Uh, so it's you know she's home uh, probably a little bit more than I am because I work you know nights and weekends. And so uh, it's probably more like sixty forty for her. But you know, I definitely have to hold up my share of the bargain, and, and that's the way I look at it. It's a bargain. It's a partnership. We're in this together. You know. She didn't have the kids by herself. You know, I was I was definitely there in at least the, the procreation portion of it. And so, uh, 
<laughs> the fun part, but I should be here for the uh, the, uh, the the racing part too. Well, well put, well put. Yeah, my my wife and I have a a, a deal. Uh, she she's a cleaner. She loves to clean. She's she's borderline a clean freak. So I do all the cooking and she does all the cleaning because I am Greek. I was raised in a restaurant. Oh, my wife's Greek. She spent some time in a restaurant, but she doesn't like to cook, which is almost a sin in the Greek community. Uh, <laughs> but I growing up in a restaurant, I, I find cooking to be extremely relaxing because it also allows me to use that right brain side, that, that creative side through that, through that vehicle. So, yeah, and this is my, my second wife. So this has kind of worked out really well. We, we found that middle ground and you're right. We do not agree all the time, but we sure find a way to make it work. And just like you said, as you started off, we must be doing something right because he seems <laughs> to be doing, the, the kid seems to be well adjusted and doing well. So, yeah, it's amazing how that happens, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, when they first went to school, we didn't know how they were going to be, you know, and you think, oh my God, I hope they're okay. They act good. They get along with people. They, they listen to the teacher and all, oh, yeah, everything that goes with that. And, uh, and, and then ultimately, you know, after three years uh, or four years, because they went to kindergarten too, you know, and they're doing okay. They're hanging in there. In fact, one of my sons is um, uh, is above his reading level in, in uh, third grade. He's reading at the fourth or even fifth grade reading level. The other son we've had a lot of uh, uh, problems with only because he has a learning disability. He's been diagnosed with ADD, and so it's been a major, a major challenge working with him, you know, nightly, daily to get him to progress, but he's progressing. And so, uh, you know, somehow it, it all comes together. It all works out. They're progressing. They're getting raised. And meanwhile, you know, I'm getting uh, more gray hair because I didn't have gray hair before they were born. And uh, we're, we're surviving. <laughs> I, I, I feel your struggle with, with a son with, with ADHD because my, my son's the same way. We, he was diagnosed uh, in the fifth grade. And it does bring, it answered a lot of questions up to that point. Uh, but it does require a lot of extra work and discipline and, and working with that, with that disability. Um, yeah, it just adds a little bit more to the plate. But you know what? In the long run, it's all worth it. No, it's all worth it. You know, there's... Nothing like it. So let's switch gears here for a second. I heard the word accountant, and I heard the word actor, and you've done stand-up. So you're an accidental accountant as well. <laughs> well, you know, in, in, uh, I got my undergraduate degree in, in marketing. And, uh, you know, it's a very different – in uh, Dayton, Ohio, it was very difficult to find a meaningful, reasonable work in uh, marketing. And so I went back to my college advisor, and I said, what do I do? And he said, well, get your MBA in accounting. And like a fool, I listened to him. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, and I'm good at math, and, and that's, uh, that's fine. Um, and so I did. I, and uh, I, did reasonable, I did pretty good in, uh, in accounting. And then I was fortunate enough to get hired by a, a big company out of graduate school. I was with them. But, you know, I'm not really – I don't have the accountant uh, – je ne sais quoi. I don't have the account, you know, mindset overall. I mean, I can do the work, but, you know, it's just, it's just not there for me. I understand. I understand. <laughs> uh, and then the opportunity came up to, uh, you know, uh, to pursue my professional acting career. And so, and that's something I've been doing my whole life too, is acting. And so um, I thought, well, okay, what, what the heck? And I was lucky enough to actually start making some money at it for a while, uh, a couple of years anyway. And I thought, well, let me take my show on the road to New York. So I moved from Ohio to New York, in New York City. And, 
Uh, I was over there for a couple of years, and then, uh, and fortunately, I was able to support myself pursuing my professional acting career as a as a temp accountant. And I worked for some very big companies also, uh, and it was great. And they all offered me jobs uh, doing that. But you know, again, my heart wasn't in it at that time. I was doing temp work for a while, but then after a while, the money started running out from the acting, and so I thought, well, I got to do it full time. I did. Uh, that led to you know, some series of changes. We moved. And then um, it was difficult in this area to find accounting work. The sales job came up uh, very, very close by to where we live. I thought, well, let me try that, you know, because I'm a friendly guy. I thought I could do this. And after, you know, so many years in accounting, it's really hard being an accountant, which nobody tells you about in graduate school, because you sit at a computer for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, nobody likes you in corporate America because, <laughs> because no matter what you do, you know, you're always counter-progressive, counterproductive to what they're trying to do. You know, well, the numbers don't say this, but we want that and blah, blah, blah. And so I thought, let me try sales. And I went into sales. I actually enjoy it a lot. And now I'm just, you know, looking to to expand my, my creative horizons by going into uh, writing and speaking uh, professionally. So you're an accountant, but... You, you didn't possess. I mean, you, you didn't possess that ability to sit in front of a computer and be extremely. I guess the word I'm thinking of is, is introverted. Um, you get your from a Myers Briggs perspective. You're very much an extrovert. You get your uh, energy from other people, where accountants can generate that own energy, that introverted energy. So you're in sales. Um, it, what 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 type of sales? Uh, it's a retail. I sell. Um I sell appliances and TVs, and uh, I work for a big company on the East Coast. They're not; they're only on the East Coast, um, but it's a very big company, very well-known in the appliance uh, uh, appliance industry uh, throughout the nation, and they've given me some sales training, and you know, I've picked up some things on my own, and that's been a growth process, too, because I was more introverted than I am now, even though I've never been you know, a true classic introvert, uh, and so uh, it's allowed me to to, to also to grow as well as the you know with my parenting at the same time I'm developing uh, and, and parenting is also about sales oh yeah um, and so it's allowed me to to grow as a person and and as a salesperson and so uh, I thought I'd integrate those concepts because there seems to be an opportunity there and when I came across a statistic the other day is like there'll be 43 percent more smaller businesses. In, in a short period of time, five, 10 years, and there are today, and it means that those people are going to want CPAs or accounting people, you know, helping them with their, with their books and their managing their businesses. I thought this is a perfect time because accountants are typically not, not good at the sales, not good at uh, marketing or selling themselves. And, and I think there will become a time when, as, as you mentioned, when the, the computer will be doing most of the work. So accountants will need to be able to to market and sell and differentiate themselves and tailor their products to specific businesses or markets so that they can ultimately survive too. And so I thought that would be a great opportunity. And you know, so all this is coming out at the same time as I'm, as I'm, I'm growing as a salesperson and a speaker. Well, that's that's a very good point that you make. That you know, traditionally accounts have been haven't been known to be the best sales marketing people, but you know, it's not the seventies and eighties and nineties anymore. And and I talk to audiences about this as well as they've got to come, become better at building relationships. 
and the ability to sell themselves, their firm, their services uh, in order to grow their businesses. Uh, because if they're not going to end up ultimately growing uh, the way things look and there's no succession plan in place, then they will ultimately get bought by another firm and, and gobbled up. Uh, and even the, the larger firms, I, I think I think sales training for accountants is a must anymore, and they should be taking some type of sales training courses. Well, thank you. I, I think so, too. You know, it's, uh, it's not a mysterious process. I don't do anything in my sales that, you know, it's not as if I pull magic words out of the hat to get people to buy. Uh, you know, it's more of just establishing a personal relationship and, and fulfilling the customer's needs. And then closing the sale. I mean, it's a very simple process, but there are steps that you have to go through to be able to to satisfy the customer. And it's all about satisfying the customer so that, you know, you can get the repeat business and you get people coming back and, and spreading the word because that will also provide, you know, the word of mouth advertising that, which is the best advertising that, that uh, you get. So I think it's, 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 it'd be valuable for accountants to learn how to, to market and sell themselves. Yeah, and I think the big piece in sales and those who are extremely successful in it, there's one key skill that they possess, and that's the ability to listen in order to ascertain what the needs and wants of their customer or client is so they can match them up to the right service and the right product. I think a lot of times people, when they're in front of a client and they've got a service they're trying to sell, that is the main part of their mind. That, that quote unquote, that's their agenda. So they're not truly listening to their client talk about what their needs and wants are, and and they're not making that match. So I think listening is probably the key skill in sales. I I think so too. I agree with that. And listening comes right after uh, uh, it comes as part of uh, asking the right questions. Right. And uh, and you ask the right questions, you listen to the answers, and then you proceed from there because ultimately you want to match the product or service to match where the customers. Uh, the customer's problem or, or need. So yeah, that uh, listening is, is extremely important. And because you have to make the customer feel like they are being listened to. Exactly. That listening skill is not just sitting there, not saying word, nodding your head, giving it, yeah, okay, I got it, I got it, or just repeating it back, what, what, the, what the customer or client said. That, that listening, is, is, is that's part of it, but it's also asking the right questions or asking the statement, probing more, because I don't know who it was, uh, uh, and I got this back in my, when, I was, when I was a banker in my sales training. You got to peel back that onion. You, get, you got about seven no's or seven roadblocks along the way in order to find out what the true want and need or issue is. And you just got to keep coming at it with different angles, with different questions. Absolutely. You have to do that. The difficulty for accountants is, you know, accountants have the numbers. They have the reports. They say, here, you need this. And now, and realistically, a business or a, a customer may need those things but you have to convince them that they need those things. <laughs> you know, you have to say, okay, they need these things because this will satisfy this need. You know, this will help you do this. You know, it's establishing a relationship with uh, uh, either inside of business or outside of business. You know, inside of business in corporate America is, is equally important too, uh, because uh, as I taught, as I mentioned before, nobody likes accounts. <laughs> you know, accounts will say, hey, I'm, I'm Jeff from accounting. You have a problem, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants to go through that process or they feel that they have a problem. Um, so you have to establish a relationship. You have to match 
you know, what you can do with what the customer needs. Exactly. And in corporate America, I've heard the CFO being referred to as the CF no. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that's, you know, we, we do have a stereotype. And, and you brought that up. We accountants have a stereotype in corporate America that when we show up, we're coming with a problem uh, versus getting to know those other people, individuals within your organization not just on a professional, at a professional level, as a personal level. And when you show up, have them look at you as Pete coming or Jeff coming, not, oh, the guy from accounting. That changes that whole relationship. You've created, a, to some degree, a friendship, and you're more likely going to be able to accomplish what you came to do if you've got that friendship role versus the perceived adversarial role. No, absolutely, absolutely. That changes everything. It's a relationship. Selling is a it's a process, you know, and once they, uh, you get your customer or, or a business partner to understand that, you know, you're a person, you're trying to uh, not only do your job, but to relate to them on a uh, personal and business level so that you can satisfy their needs. Uh, it changes the whole context and dynamic of the relationship so that it's not, you know, me versus them or, oh, here comes uh, Jeff from accounting to tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know, it's like, Jeff is here to because he understands my problems and he's trying to help me, you know, fix the problems, whether it's in operations or sales or, or marketing or whatever. Exactly, exactly. And and the the other challenge you'll have in 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 this area is they might agree and say, Yeah, we need it, but not right now. <laughs> and I think the challenge is to bring the bring the urgency to it that actually they needed it then, they need it now, and then they need it tomorrow. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, it's a it's it's a process. You know, we keep going back to that word. It's a whole process. Uh, you know, getting the, the need in front of them uh, so they understand it in a way that they needed it. This will this is useful information for them. You know, and that's true for uh, CPAs. You know, the outside CPAs too because. Uh, the issue will come up uh, not only in, in providing you know specific reports for whatever business they're working with, uh, but the, the issue will come up about price, and they will have to be able to justify the value in the reports that they provide to the business so that the business can operate and still you know maintain viability or profitability in the business. Well, we have to. We as accountants need to be looked as a, a, a part of the business, not a cost of doing business. We need. To, we we talk about that in the profession that that trusted business advisor. That you know, we we are a cog. We support all everybody within. We're part of the bigger picture. We're just not a cost of doing business, and that's the other stereotype that that needs to be broken. No, absolutely, absolutely. I've heard that all the time. Is that uh, you know a more of a liability than an asset, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to do that. You know, I want to be an asset to so that the business. Because ultimately, it's all about the business, right? You know, you want to run the business. You have to give the business what they need to be able to run. Uh, but there's a way to you know there's a good way and a bad way to do that. You can do it as a business partner. Or you can do that you know banging the head saying you need to, you need this. This will help you. Uh, but you know I'm not really interested or I have no vested interest in how, how your business turns out. And that's where uh, accounts need to turn the corner on. Right. It's, it's not about me, the accountant. It's about my client. What's the best for their business? The more that I understand their business, not just the financials, but understand their business, then when I do have these reports, I can 
say, you need this, and this is why. And, and as you know in sales, to have that benefit. What's the benefit? What's in it for them in order to get buy-in? And you have to be able to articulate that in a way that the person sitting across the table from you who might not be an accountant understands. Right, absolutely. When I was in corporate America, I trained a lot of people on accounting concepts. And, you know, you can see the light bulbs go off when they understand you know, I mean, because ultimately accounts talk about debits and credits, which is confusing as heck, uh, and nobody wants to understand that. It's all too technical. It's too much math and blah, blah, blah. And, but when you talk to, uh, to non-accountants about, okay, this, this, when you do this, then it means this, uh, ultimately to the business, they say, oh, so that's how that happens. And you see the light bulbs go off in the head, and then, then they start realizing, oh, okay, so that's what accounting can do for me. It's you, you just basically described your translator you, because accounting, <laughs> accounting is the language of business and not everybody understands that language. And you're able to take the technical pieces of it and put it in context that the other person can understand without using the accounting jargon. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's technical and it's complex and, you know, it, it's, uh, it's boring and all that stuff. You know, even though we, we do it uh, or we, I did it. Uh, but you know it's uh, uh, it's meaningful. It does have meaning, and that that's uh, important for accountants to be able to convey to their uh, their business partners and customers that it is meaningful for their, for them. Exactly, and and uh, I I wish you all the best on this journey. That in part of the conversation we were having uh, on email uh, about this, and I was giving you some ideas, and you you were using the term sales accounting, and I think I put the uh, add on to it, the sales accounting. It's not an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an oxymoron. It's the two words that should go together. <laughs> right. They, the two words that should go together need to go together. And I hope that in your speaking venues and your speaking business that you're able to convey that to your audience and, and have them connect with you on that and realize that, yeah, I need to become a better sales person in order to help my business my company grow. Right. Uh, function, yeah, function uh, and grow. Because ultimately, it's all about growth. You don't grow, you die. Uh, because you, 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 and the economy, who knows what's going to happen to the economy, not only in four years, but in five to 10 years or 20 years. And, you know, you want to be able to lay the groundwork for it now with technology and information and partnerships uh, to, be able to, uh, to be able to grow. Exactly. And uh, Jeff, I, I, it's, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Uh, I'm finally glad we got a chance to talk one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, I was just completely fascinated by the, the, the daddy is best <laughs> part, part of your, uh, of your background and, and, and the, the accounting piece and how you're weaving really all of this together in, in, into one, I think, sustainable speaking career. And, and I, hopefully our paths will cross and we'll meet person to person. But I, I wish you all the best in your business, your, your family, and, and everything you're doing. And once again, thank you for taking time uh, to be part of my podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, uh, Peter. I've enjoyed it so much. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to meeting you too in person. I would like to thank again Jeff for taking time out of his schedule and sharing his story with us. It was a very interesting and thought-provoking story. In episode 37, I interviewed David Crone, who is a comedy ventriloquist and corporate speaker, and we, and when I say we, that includes Gus Eugene 
Wilmer, and Edna discuss a variety of leadership topics and techniques. So thank you again for listening, and remember that listening is one of the superpower principles of improvisation. If you have children, go give them a big hug and tell them how much you love them. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.